Hey, Yogi, Sarah Burchard here, and you are listening to Yoga Unplugged Conversations, a show dedicated to helping you grow, thrive, and gracefully make tough life decisions so you can lead a happier, healthier life. On this show, we discuss common challenges that everyone can relate to and apply philosophy and practical tools that have been proven to be effective solutions. If you've ever felt scatterbrained, anxious, stressed, lethargic, or overwhelmed, you've clicked on the right podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to increase vitality and sharpen your focus using your breath. This automatic function that we all take for granted can work wonders when performed consciously. I know there are moments in my life where I stop dead in my tracks and realize, oh my God, I'm holding my breath right now. How long have I not been breathing? But it's not until you become aware of this that you can change it. So now I make it a point to regularly check in with my breath and specifically to make sure my breath is coming from my belly and not my chest. And we'll get into why that's important later. Here today to talk about how the way you breathe can make a huge difference in your mental and physical health is our very own Jennifer Reuter. Jennifer, as most of you know, is the founder of Yoga Unplugged and has been teaching yoga, meditation, and pranayama, aka breathwork, for over a decade. She is super passionate about this subject, and I'm totally excited to geek out with her on it today. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. It's great to be back been a minute since you've been on. I'm excited to do an episode with you. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> I was wondering if we could start with a little yoga philosophy. Can you speak to why the yogis believed that the breath was the key to achieving a long life? Yes. Uh, yogis were fascinated with nature, and so they were always studying the world around them, the world within them, and they wanted to understand how both related to each other. They wanted to understand suffering, the nature of it, the means to overcome it. They wanted to understand the nature of consciousness. And so one of the things, this comes from the Hatha Yoga Pradipika. So it's one of the ancient texts of Hatha Yoga. It says that they noticed animals that were smaller in size tended to be, they breathed faster. And because they breathed faster, they had a shorter lifespan than mm. animals who had a slower breath. And those breaths that were slower led to a longer lifespan. So like rabbits and dogs, they don't live as long as elephants and the great tortoise, right? Hmm. And so uh, you can see this, these teachings and these writings, these observations, not only from the Pradipika, but Autobiography of a Yogi by Yogananda uh, talks about this as well in his writings. And so the yogis, they, the body was the laboratory. And so they were constantly testing their observations within their own bodies. Certainly there were dead ends and certainly there were discoveries, but perhaps I think one of the greatest discoveries that they found within themselves is that the breath, the body and the mind, they could not be separated. And so for them, whatever was happening at the level of the mind was happening at the level of the breath and so too at the body. And so Western science, I think, is, is starting to also see that maybe theory as factual, although I haven't really seen that being you know, uh, marketed as fact. But for the yogis and yoga philosophy, that is fact. So whatever is happening with the mind is happening at the level of the breath. So this idea to live longer, is, and that the breath could be a tool to help one achieve that. We know that 
panting, when we're stressed out, shallow breaths, chest breathing, mouth breathing, over breathing. We have a lot of pathologies around breath. And it's related to what's happening in the mind. The mind is racing. The mind is confronted with challenges. It is being reflected back inside the breath and the body. And so they saw, wow, is it possible then to don't worry about, quote, the monkey mind. It's going to do what it's going to do. Let's look at the level of the breath and begin to change the breath and that that has a, an effect on the brain itself. And so but we're not getting all those chemicals being dumped down into the body. Yeah, we're going to live longer. We're not corroding our insides through uh, cortisol. And you know these are the stress hormones that the brain produces when we are in fight or flight or we're being stressed out, which is a lot for our society these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the quotes from the Pradipika, they say, when the breath is unsteady, that all is unsteady. When the breath is still, all is still. And they're talking about the correlation within the mind and the body itself. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's really beautiful. This is something we should definitely listen to and practice within ourselves to extend our own life. Ayurvedically, too, I, I was contemplating the Ayurveda. In Ayurveda, they teach about prana. So Ayurveda, when we take that word apart, we have Ayur, which means life, and Veda, knowledge. So Ayurveda is the knowledge of life. It's what its meaning is. And it is the most ancient holistic uh, system we have. And it's receiving quite a renaissance lately. And Ayurveda teaches a lot about prana and prana being vitality. So whether that's Chinese medicine, we're talking about chi, or we're even in, in Hawaii here, we say mana. But this idea of vitality, Ayurveda teaches that the, the greatest way to, to get more vitality or prana is breath. Breath is the way to do it. And my one teacher, Swami Shankardev, he used to say, you come into this world he says, with a pranic bank account. And you can squander your inheritance or you could build upon the inheritance. Hmm. And so all activity we know uses our life force, uses our vitality, like moving, emotions particularly, thoughts, speech. And certain activities use a lot more. And that would be like if we're worried or distressed, like poor diet, negative thoughts, depression. They begin to weaken our prana. And then we are less nourished and more at risk for disease. So it's helpful to kind of think about this, that we have this, quote, bank account. And another teaching, I know we've all heard this before, but wherever the attention goes, your energy flows. Wherever your attention goes, the prana flows. So if we place the attention on the breath, here comes our prana, here comes the, the vitality. What's the difference between chest breathing and diaphragmatic breathing, and how do they both affect us? So chest breathing is, oftentimes it's unconscious. I think like intellectually we all get, oh, well, it must mean like I'm breathing in my chest. Yes, but 
until you've really experienced diaphragmatic breathing, then you understand diaphragmatic breathing. Mm -hmm. So yeah, diaphragmatic breathing is belly breathing. But when, when we actually practice that as a real practice, feeling not just the belly, the front wall of the belly, but feeling the sides of the waist, feeling the lower ribs expand horizontally, feeling the lower back expand, and then feeling that all those divisions simultaneously expand together with one inhalation, simultaneously feeling front, back, side to side, all expanding. And then on exhalation, front, back, side to side, all relaxing. When we begin to experience true diaphragmatic breathing, we realize how much we're not doing it. We're mm -hmm. not doing that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, no. So what are we doing then? Something else. And so that's something else oftentimes is the chest breathing that is triggered from fight or flight. So fight or flight is our sympathetic nervous system. We know breath is autonomic. It's not something we have to think about. And because we don't have to think about it, why bother? Why would we want to? Who cares about breathing? We don't even have to worry about it. It's going on all day long without us having to do anything about it. But the truth of the matter is, once we understand the difference physiologically, what's happening between proper breathing, ideal breathing, and non-ideal breathing, and what it's doing to us in terms of our energy, in terms of our clarity of mind, in terms of getting sick, even our immune system, and even insomnia, we're more inclined to take a note where am I breathing from? Am I holding my breath? So chest breathing is secondary muscles. It's the secondary mechanism for breath. And it's there because our nervous system is so brilliant. The more I learn about our nervous system, the more that I really appreciate this technology. And I always joke with myself, I joke with others. It's like we came into this world without the owner's manual. And we're stumbling along trying to figure out this technology of our nervous system. It has like pulleys and buttons, and we have no idea how to work it. Uh, we're learning slowly. And one of the ways to understand this inner technology is the breath. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so the chest breathing, it's a secondary respiration. And what happens is when we encounter something that we feel is unsafe, or there's danger, or we're at risk, we shift up into the secondary muscle. Why? Because the nervous system, I said, is so brilliant. It wants to save the primary mechanism, which is the diaphragm, for last. Because if things go from bad to worse, you don't want to have exhausted out your primary mechanism of breath. So it starts by going up into the chest when we sense a potential risk. It starts, we get triggered to breathe up into the chest. That signals to the brain, hey, something's wrong. The brain starts to produce hormones like cortisol and adrenaline because if something really is wrong, you're going to need those hormones to get out of where you are. But the reality is, is that a bear and a tiger, they're not stalking us like they used to. Yeah, I was, you know? <laughs> I was just thinking that as you were talking, I'm like, you know, this, this is the problem with like uh, modern man is, you know, we, 
we're like going to miss the bus or we're like a few minutes late for an important phone call or something like that. And so our body starts thinking that we're being chased by a lion. When in reality, yeah. it's just like, you're just standing, like you're just standing somewhere. Just your mind is kind of racing. Exactly. And yeah. So you, your body like clicks on these mechanisms, goes into these modes for, I guess it's, not the wrong reasons, but sort of the wrong reasons. Well, it's preservation. It's yeah. because it's, our, our body is wired to survive. And what that was how we were going to survive was if it went from bad to worse, and it was really, it is really a bear, you need that adrenaline. And then it would switch back into the diaphragm to get, to get you out of danger. But the problem is that, you know, social media, right? Or it's your email, you know, or a text message or rushing around because you're late. Yeah. Uh, those things are triggering the breath into those secondary muscles. And, and it's not just the chest, it's the neck as well. So chest and neck are the secondary muscles for respiration. And so a lot of neck issues um, from breathing in these upper areas that begin to manifest. But let's talk about, you know, this idea of calming the mind with your breath. Because a couple weeks ago, I had psychologist Jill Peterson on the podcast, and we talked about how to handle tough emotions. And she rejected the practice of using the breath to make yourself feel better, saying that it's just your brain's way of trying to speed through uncomfortable feelings. And I never thought of it that way before. What do you think about this? And when do you feel like it's a good time to focus on your breath versus scrapping that and writing out your emotions instead? Yeah, I think there, there are two different practices that are being referred to here. And so I love Jill's podcast. I listen to it and I, I agree with her 100% with what she's saying. But I think like in terms of when you're working with a tough emotion, that you want to be receptive to that emotion. What, it's a feedback mechanism. Emotions are arising because they're trying to give us information. And for me personally, I, mean, I, I can only speak about my own life and how I use that technique is when I'm encountering a tough emotion, it's not a time for me to go meditate. It's not a time for me to go do a breathing practice. It's a time for me to sit my butt down and listen to what that emotion has to say. These are the emotions that are sticky they haven't left. They are persistent. They're not going away. And they're, tr they're trying to tell me something. And I really applaud and am very grateful for, for a, a, this is a lot of Richard Miller's work that he's brought to the wider yoga community in terms of working with emotions and very grateful for how he's been presenting it and he's been adapting it within the iRest Yoga Nidra uh, meditations because it gives us a, a real tool to work with emotions. And so meditation and breath, these things help us get through tough moments. But if I'm trying to work with an emotion and find out what is it here to try to tell me, the focal point becomes the emotion. And mm. I'm gonna place my attention on that focal point. I'm still receptive to my breath and receptive to everything around me. However, my attention is on the emotion. Now, meditation in general, I always like to come back to thinking of it as a spectrum. And so 
there's a lot of ways that we can quote meditate. What's the focal point here? So we can use our breath as a meditation. The breath is now the focal point. And we're receptive to whatever else is arising. We're not trying to push out other things, but we're just more sensitive to the breath. Is it mantra meditation? The focal point becomes the mantra. And yet I'm still receptive to other things happening around me, but my attention is a little more on that focal point. And so, yeah, so working with emotions, that's going to be a great way of identifying what's the underlying cause of this emotion. What is it here? What is it asking me to do in the world? And it's very valuable information that we do get and that it helps us live a more. I guess where it gets sticky for me is, you know, stress because you're running around late or stress from a email or something like that. And, you know, when we're talking about keeping the breath steady and trying not to breathe from the chest and breathe from the belly, what point are we kind of like tapping back into our breath? And then what point are we going to like stop and feel the emotion? You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Yes. This is a personal journey. <laughs> and when mm-hmm. you, you know, you're, it's your life, you know, there's like this quote in, um, the the yoga it says many sages many paths there's many opinions so you really and there's as many paths as there are people on the planet and you have your own path and and here are the teachings and you really want to explore those teachings for yourself and see where they apply where they work for you and where where they don't and so with that being said there's this term called spiritual bypassing. And I think like that was what Jill was maybe alluding to is a spiritual bypass where we're just using spiritual principles to bypass or sidestep emotional issues. We we don't want to face them. We don't want to look at our wounds. So let's read something spiritual and let's pretend like it's not happening. And so that's an actual term that I read somewhere it was from the 1980s. So it's a Buddhist teacher coined that from the 1980s. So it's a fairly newer, it's a new term. And a lot of people still haven't really heard of that quote, spiritual bypass. When we have issues, they need to be dealt with. However, there's a time and a place to deal with our issues, to do the work, right? And then there's also a time for meditation and there's a time I feel all the time we could be, or trying to at least, manage our our breath. So the breath is connected to the mind. And we know the autonomic nervous system is a two-way street now, meaning that we have nerves that are running from the brain down to the internal organs, communicating, and also from the internal organs back up to the brain communicating. It's bi-directional communication. It's going both ways. So the thoughts that we have, you know, they, they, it connects back down into the organs. And then also from the organs, the heart and the lungs, it's communicating back up to the brain. So if we take our attention and we place it on the breath and we start to slow the breath down, that starts to slow the heart rate down. So when the heart rate is slowing down, that soothes the nervous system and it sends information up to the brain that everything is calm and everything is peaceful. And so after working with our emotions, 
if that's choice and we're going through that and it, we can come into a breath practice and we can start calming ourselves to see more clearly. We could, so these are practices, again, that you want to massage and it's up to you. You're the, you're the scientist discovering how to use these practices and how they'll best suit you. If that makes, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I use breath work at the beginning of my meditations in the morning. And now I'm meditating in the evenings too. So like starting out with five super deep belly breaths. And one, it gets me kind of from this like active state to a calmer state to where I can like sit and rest. But I also feel like it really clears the mind and sets you up to be able to focus on your, your mantra or keep focusing on the breath or whatever it may be that you're meditating on. Can you speak a little bit to that? Like if, if somebody was interested in adding pranayama to their meditation ritual, like what would you suggest? I think it's very helpful to have some breath practices to support a meditation. Again, with breath practices, we have to understand too that there's a lot of breath practices out there. And it's, again, this is personal and Ayurveda's famous two words, it depends. So it depends on, on the person and it depends on your constitution as well. And so for certain constitutions, certain pranayamas are, are really not the best choice as well as certain pranayamas that, so pranayama, so with this word prana, again, as the life force, and ayama, which means to extend. So we're trying to extend the prana within the systems of the body and spirit. So what are the choices to help extend that life force? And so based off of not just your, const your Ayurvedic constitution, but it's also looked at in terms of there's pranayamas that are contraindicated. So if you have glycoma, glaucoma, if you have high blood pressure, COPD, asthma, there's certain types of breathing that are not recommended. And so it's really good to understand that and be advised by somebody who has breath training, some kind of breath training, what kind of prescription of breath you're getting. These are not suitable for everybody. But to be honest, like the best the universal breath is going to be the diaphragmatic breath, the deep belly breathing that, that you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. And a one to two breathing where the, the ratio favors the exhale. And it may not be an exact one to two. So if I inhale five, I would exhale 10. Maybe we can't even get to 10, but maybe we get to like seven is a really great practice. Because again, what's happening is every inhalation signals to the heart to beat faster. And every exhalation is a signal to the heart to beat slower. Really? So, oh, I yes. didn't know that. <laughs> this is what, yeah. So it's talking about particularly the vagus nerve. We know it's the longest nerve in the body connecting the brain down to the organs, the heart, the, the belly, the lungs. And so by signaling to the heart to favor that exhalation over a period of time, the heart will start beating, it'll start to slow down. That signals up, back up to the brain. Hey, it's relaxed, we're relaxed, we're calm. And there we can dive into 
a more perhaps productive meditation versus if we're sitting down and we're all scattered and we're anxious about sitting. Um, and so here we are using the breath to have a physiological effect. So breath, breath can give us energetic effects. It can help shape the energy in the body. And we're talking about emotional regulation, self-regulation. So we're not like coming back to the topic of handling tough emotions. So we're not handling tough emotions. It's just life. Life is stressful. Being in yeah. a human body is stressful. And we can regulate that, those emotions. We can help regulate that with our breath. Uh, one story I wanted to share was, because it was such a profound teaching for me, was the story of my son. Where we, a couple years ago, we were in Kyoto, Japan. And he was six years old. And we were on this trail. It was called Philosopher's Walk. And it's this beautiful trail that meanders along a stream that's up, up raised. Uh, so the stream's like 12 feet down. And this trail is traversing the stream. And either side are these beautiful flowers. It's just a beautiful, it's June. So it's early summer. Weather's nice and cool. And on either side of the stream are, are these bridges traversing the trail. And the bridges are these Japanese bridges. They don't have rails, they don't have walls. And so we're going back and forth over these bridges. My son stops at the top of the bridge and he's six and he's looking down into the water, the stream, and it has all these rocks and at below. And I'm watching him and he literally kept going and flips over into the stream 12 feet down. Oh my God. And yeah. And I'm right in front of me. Like, did this just happen? And so <laughs> oh I looked down, <laughs> I'm looking down and he's like coming to the realization that I just fell off a bridge. I'm in water and he has his hand behind his head and he's bleeding everywhere. <gasps> and, and he is in complete horror and terror because he's down there by himself. You can't get out. I mean, there's this, these walls on either side. So I jumped down. I like jumped down this wall into the stream. I'm now in the stream. Both of us, he's panicking. He's crying. Well, to sum it up, this very nice Japanese man came and spoke no English. He reaches down and he, he pulls us out of this stream. And my mom's there. And so is my daughter. And my mom fell and she's got an injury now. My daughter's freaking out. I mean, it's chaos everywhere. This man doesn't speak English. And, and he, I have so much respect for the Japanese culture after this. We get in his car. He takes us in his car to the nearby clinic. And as we're going to this clinic, all I could think of was my son. I mean, as a parent, for anybody who's a parent knows that the sight of your child in complete terror is the worst possible situation that a, a mother could have. And so all of these stress hormones are going through my body. I mean, he's bleeding. He's so, we're both wet. We're in a country. We don't speak the language. I have no idea where we're going. And it was interesting because prior to the trip to Japan, my, my dear friend had given my kids malas and she taught them how to use it. She said, okay, you're going to go around this mala and you breathe around each bead. And so we'll inhale and exhale around each bead. And so 
she taught them how to use the smala and there was this great like discussion around the breath and I was trying to get Keegan, my son, to use the mala because he gets angry a lot. And I'm like, okay, you know, let's, let's breathe now. And he'd get so mad at the mala, he'd just chuck the mala, like, no, and just be really angry. So I'm like, okay, well, this mala's not really working for anger. And so, but here we are, we're in this, this uh, car, this Japanese man. And I go, okay, Keegan, do you remember that mala? And he's like, yeah. And he just looks at me and I look at him. I'm like, we're going to imagine that we have it right now. We're going to breathe around each bead. And I said, I'm going to put my hand on your belly and we're going to breathe together. And we breathed the whole way to the clinic. And I can't tell you the difference that it made for him and myself. And mm. it was really interesting because fear, talking about emotions, fear was an invitation to breathe for Keegan. Anger was not. Like anger, it's better for Christmas. We got him a punching bag. Like, okay, you're going to get angry. You just punch that thing and you let yourself go and act out on the anger. But fear was a different emotion that he was, was very welcoming to breathe and he wanted to do it. Yeah. And yeah, so had I not had that practice, I would have been hysterical and ungrounded and unclear. And we got to the clinic and I was able to handle myself and also be a model for everyone around me. So I had my daughter there, my mom was there, my son. And so I was able to keep myself, regulate. This is what I'm talking about, emotional regulation. What a powerful tool that was. And thank goodness that I, I knew about that practice. And it allows you to think clearly so that you can decide what needs to be done next. Okay, now we're at the clinic. Now I need to go talk to somebody and get some, my son checked in. And otherwise you're just in panic mode and you're just scratching at the surface for anything, but really getting nowhere. Yes, yes, exactly. So that is where the, the, the power, right, of the breath is, has become manifest when you are in situations like that. So. Yeah. So I know you don't want to prescribe any breath work necessarily, but I am curious, if, and I was wondering if you would sort of go through some of the different types of breathing practices and what those look like. So just people who don't know can kind of get an idea of what those are. Sure. So, so first of all, we, we start with diaphragmatic breathing, and I'm just going to keep coming back to that one because as a practitioner of yoga and I certainly teach yoga, but I just remember when I started with yoga and I would be in these yoga classes, we would be doing ratios. So you can start to count your breath and then add breath retentions. And then the ratios can get quite long and complicated. So there's that kind of a practice as well as Nadi Shodhana. These practices, if the teacher is not talking about diaphragmatic breathing and teaching students and with it, even if it's you and you haven't met, properly accessed the diaphragm, all we're doing is rewiring faulty and non-ideal breathing patterns. So as best as the intention is for a student and a teacher, if we're not utilizing the diaphragm properly, then these breath practices, they're, they're not going to be helping us. We're just going to be continuing faulty breathing. And I see that as a teacher because I teach diaphragmatic breathing 
in every single one of my classes. I talk, that's pretty much all I talk about from the minute I start class to the minute it ends. I am talking about breathing in the belly and getting people to just bring their attention down there. And when we do focus diaphragmatic breathing, I'm watching. And it's interesting, I, I don't see the belly rising and falling. And it could be that people are just ignoring me and they just don't feel like doing it. Um, or it could be that people really can't and they're just, they haven't really understood it or have mastered it yet. So it's really interesting. And so I just wanna hit that one more time, just the diaphragmatic breathing is extremely powerful, extremely useful. It is our primary mechanism for breath. And then once with that, there is a practice called sama vritti. And so sama means equal and vritti means fluctuations. And this is a very powerful practice. It's, it's a ratio breath and it's one-to-one. -one. Hasn't involved yet any breath retention. And so if you inhale five, you would exhale five. Interestingly now, the Western, what I'm seeing now in terms of Western writings and offerings is like from the medical world, they call it cardiac coherence. It's like, it's samavritti, and now all of a sudden now it's cardiac coherence, because what they've done is they've tested a lot of these theories that the yogis had, and they're seeing, oh my gosh, this stuff really works. And so they've done biofeedback where they've hooked people up and they're looking at, what's this breath practice actually doing? And so samavritti, or cardiac coherence, the one-to-one -one is balancing out the heart as well. And so they can see that it's very restorative and calming for the body. So that one-to-one -one is a fantastic practice. Then you can start adding retentions. Um, if you're feeling comfortable to start adding it uh, first after the inhalation, maybe a, a second, a pause, I would recommend. And then if that feels comfortable after exhalation, another one to two seconds. Never ever with pranayama do we want to feel agitated or uncomfortable because remember, we're trying to extend the prana in the body. And so agitation is the first sign that the breath practice is failing. So yeah, I've had teachers at the very end of class, like right before Shavasana, have us take a few deep breaths and then hold it a really, really long time. And then like almost to the point, and like keep sipping in air almost to the point where you're just like, I can't do it anymore. And then you finally like let out the breath and then you fall into Shavasana. Is, is this something that you recommend or what is the point of that? Yeah, so different teachers have, again, many sages, many opinions. I'm just going off of what I was taught with pranayama and what I was always taught was never, ever agitate your breath. In a, in a pranayama practice that, I don't know if that's a practice or just a technique. Uh, sometimes there's also the technique of squeezing and tensing up muscles. Yeah, we often do to, that too, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's not a pranayama practice, right? So that's a practice to get things to relax. And maybe that would be under that kind of category. Uh, but, okay. but if you're going to say, I'm going to sit down for like five, 10 minutes and really work on my breath, this is where agitation should not be let in. It's like mm -hmm. we're, we're monitoring that we're not getting agitated. Mm -hmm. So with that, then the next practice that's very valuable is the one to two breathing. And so that's where we're going to favor the exhalation. And this is, so our inhalation 
is as it's only as good as the exhalation and how we build lungs how we're going to improve our breath is through the exhalation and this is really important to understand uh, so straw breathing i I can't say enough about straw breathing. I love, love, love to straw breathe. I often have one by my nightstand table. I used to drive with it. I need to do that again. What is the, what is this straw breathing? I don't even know this. The straw <laughs> straw breathing is so athletes use uh, straw breathing. Singers will do straw breathing. What it's doing is, first of all, it's focusing on the exhalation. So we inhale through the nose comfortably accessing the diaphragm. And then as we're exhaling, you're blowing through a straw. And oh, today, down. yeah, well, it's also eliciting the diaphragm. So uh, the diaphragm has to, it's like, I, I call it like bench pressing the diaphragm. It's like mm -hmm. making the diaphragm work harder. And that improves our lung function. And after 25, by the way, statistics say the lung function begins to decrease. So if you're over 25 and you're listening to this, you know, straw breathing. My mother, <laughs> my mother also, she has COPD. So when she had that, I, I wanted to learn more about what that was and how to work with people who do have asthma and shortness of breath. And it, it all points back to the exhalation. And I wish I would have known this because I had asthma for many years and uh, it was Pretty closely related to an allergy I have, a shellfish allergy I have. And I was when I was in the restaurant industry, I was around shellfish fumes all the time. So it was really bad back then. Now that I'm not, it's gone away. But I've also, you know, I also started pra practicing yoga, which I think has a lot to do with it too. But I wish I would have known about straw breathing back then because it might have helped me at least a little bit. Yeah, definitely. If you just research, just Google straw breathing, you'll be surprised at what you'll see. It's really some great evidence and research on straw breathing. And wow. now, now let's not use plastic straws, everybody. Let's use... <laughs> <laughs> um, what, about, what about alternative nostril breathing? It's a great one. Absolutely. So that's another go-to. I love Nadi Shodna. And again, that one, because that seems to be a universal practice where I don't see much contraindication for in terms of pranayama practices, but balancing the left and right hemispheres of the brain and the nostrils as well indicate what, so they change every 60 to 90 minutes. And so you can notice what brain you're using by which nostrils open, left what? brain or right brain. Yeah. Wait, wait, they do this automatically? Yes, yes, yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. So, and it ties in with which side of the brain you're using. When you're forcing it what, by closing one nostril and then opening the other, you're, you're making it so that you're equally breathing out both nostrils. Correct. That's the theory. Okay. That's the theory. So the yogis, again, were the ones to map all of this through their own practices. And their theories are, there's just so many books out there about different ways to breathe, but there's a lot of really great ones. Um, and I wanted to recommend some different books that are my favorite and my go-to books. Uh, one is by Richard Rosen, The Breathing Book. 
And the other one is by Donna Frari. Donna Frari, it's F-A-H-R-I. And hers is the, another, it's like the breathing book. Both of them are like book about breathing. Mm-hmm. They've written two amazing books on breathing. Often used, these are the two that are often used in teacher trainings. We've used them in our teacher training. And they're just really great basic books on on breathing. And they do go into that practice, Nadi uh, Shodna or alternate nostril breathing. Mm-hmm. So a great way to balance the, again, the brain, the left and right hemispheres of the brain, and to get the air to move through both nostrils. Cool. What about check-ins? So these points of reference that you can look to in order to make sure you're always breathing productively. In a, there was a recent article you wrote for the Yoga Unplugged blog where you talked about how our posture affects our breathing. Can you describe to our listeners what these physiological effects are and what the checkpoints are when it comes to our breath and posture? Yeah. So the Tadasana mountain pose is the pose. (laughs) So thinking about how are we standing, sitting in every moment, if we're sitting down and we're at our laptop and the shoulders are being rounded and the chest is contracted and we do that for a long period of time that will have that'll that'll have an effect on the the physical body where those muscles become tighter and that begins to compress the diaphragm so when the chest is lifted the sternum is lifted up the chest muscles are open, the shoulders are drawing back, that's actually lifting the diaphragm up because it's through the fascia. There's fascial connections from the sternum into the heart, into the diaphragm, it's all connected. And so the, the, the rounding and the slumping forward, whether that's sitting or standing, has an effect on breath, on how much oxygen we're able to get in. If we're not getting enough, we're tired, we can't think clearly. So a checkpoint is just throughout the day is noticing our posture and how that is correlated with our, with our energy and our mood. So I find myself, whether I'm doing the dishes, standing in a line, I'm at my laptop, just be, become mindful. It's okay to round the shoulders because you know, we need to sometimes, but we don't wanna be stuck that way for two hours nonstop. Mm-hmm. As these brilliant little things now on, the iPhone and the Apple iWatch or whatever, but they, you know, beak you to stand up. Time to stand, you know, stand up if you've been sitting and check in with your posture. I work in front of a computer practically all day, usually almost every day. And that's one of the things since taking your classes that I really am aware of now is you know, how are my shoulders down or are they up around my neck? And how am I sitting? Do I need to stand up? And how am I breathing? You know, these are like the little things that they just kind of pop back into my mind throughout the day, kind of all day long. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice when that starts to become automatic. It's not like you plan to check in on those things. You just, it, it becomes a habit to check in. Yeah, exactly. And that's what we're really talking about with breath, I feel the bigger picture is habit and we can all train ourselves to be better breathers. It's very possible to 
train ourselves to become more aware of the quality of our breath, where we're breathing from, the length of the breath. And as we become more aware of that, the quality of the moment changes. The present moment begins to change. And, and it's, it's free. It doesn't cost anything. It's just awareness Damn. and attention. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add on this topic before we wrap up today? Um, I just kind of just funny story. I one more and then I'm done, but I wanted (laughs) (laughs) love it. Keep going. (laughs) Uh, This this book that I'm obsessed with right now by Mark Manson. (laughs) Oh yes. It's called, I know it's everything is beep. Everything is effed. Everything is effed. I'm obsessed with it too. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, when I was reading his book, I highly recommend this book too, to everybody. Everybody should read this book. I, I couldn't help but think of the breath because he uses this metaphor to describe the mind. He calls the mind the consciousness car, like the mind is a car. He calls it the consciousness car. He says, your, your consciousness car is driving along the road of life. And he says, there are two entities in this consciousness car consciousness car he says there's feeling mind and thinking mind Mm -hmm. thinking mind okay we know it represents our analytical analytical brain we can make calculations reason reason with it express ideas and then there's our feelings our feeling mind which represents emotions and impulses intuitions instincts and here's what really i appreciated he he says we think that when we think of ourselves and our decision-making, we generally assume that thinking brain is driving the <laughs> consciousness car <laughs> and the feeling brain is the passenger. But consciousness car doesn't work that way. He says, it is run by feeling brain. So right. we, that car, our car going down the road of life is being driven by our feelings and emotions. So our emotions are moving us into action. Actions are emotions. It's so cool. Like when I thought about that, it's what gets us up to do things is our emotions. So every problem of self-control is not a problem of information or discipline. It's a problem of emotion. So self-control is an emotional problem. And so his overall message with that was that he goes on to talk about how we have to learn how to get the two brains to talk to each other mm-hmm. and create this and negotiate com- right? negotiate yeah, yeah i love communicate. that and so how do we do that and it's the breath the breath is the link and i think like that was what the yogis was trying to say you know this balance the balanced yoga is about balancing and i love like tiknan hot says that breath is a bridge he always talks about breath being a bridge which connects life to consciousness and which unites your body to your thoughts. So to get that feeling brain and thinking brain to connect and talk is, can be through our breath. So I think it's like using our breath to help slow things down where it can hold both of the two together to make more intelligent, evolved, and it's more about living with the heart, you know, living n- nobly in life, living for a noble and higher purpose. I think if we can 
connect more into our breath to get those two brains to talk to each other. And That's what came up for me. Satisfy both brains too. Yeah. Because they both, they're, they're both trying very hard. Like the, in, you know, in the book, he's saying, you know, the, the feeling brain is always going to win out. You know, yeah. no, no matter how good your strategy is, no matter how <laughs> smart you are, no matter how much you know, the feeling brain is always going to win out. That's why people get, you put a bowl of ice cream in front of them and they're like, I'm on a diet, but that looks so good. And it's going to make me feel so happy if I eat it. So screw it. Yeah. Um, and there's only so many times you can deny that before you're just going to cave. But you're right. I mean, the the breath kind of, it brings you more into this this conscious space where you're, you're not only like nurturing what your body needs and your feelings need, but you're also kind of getting clear and focused again. So it, it kind of, it, it's good for both. Exactly. Yeah. So coming back to that, we're just emotional regulation where we can help regulate some of those urges. At least we can try, you know, and, and again, we are all scientists, right? And here we are, this body, this life is the laboratory. And so for me, and I, I just try to remind myself, and everybody's offering a teaching, and you have to travel the road. You're traveling the road. So take what works for you and see. Be the judge of it. Give it a shot. Try it out. And then it's not having an effect. Then try something else. But I think it's just being open and available to, this, to the teachings that can create radical shifts in our lives. Absolutely. Are there any announcements you wanna make before we sign out of here? Uh, so we have our Meditation for Peace, the first Sunday of the month coming up in February, and that's at four to 5.15. And so that'll be a nice way to kind of breathe, allow the breath to slow down, allow the nervous system to rest and check in. And then also in February will be a meditation workshop where we'll be focusing on the breath and some of these techniques that I've talked about. So be looking for that as well. Great. Awesome talking to you, Jennifer, as always. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for doing this for our community. Now, I'd love to hear from all you listeners out there. So please let me know what you thought of the show. And if you have any topics or questions that you'd like me to tackle on the show, the team of Yoga Unplugged and I are here for you, so please let us know. And if you'd like to join in on the conversation with us, you can subscribe to our newsletter at yogaunplugged.org. Find us on Facebook at Yoga Unplugged by Jennifer Reuter. Reuter is spelled R-E-U-T-E-R. -E or connect with us on Instagram at yoga underscore unplugged. Thanks for listening, everyone. Namaste.